0: This is The Trip Center. Welcome back to The Trip Center. The Trip Center is here for wilderness canoe trippers to pick up advice and insight on planning canoe camping trips. It can seem like a lot of preparation, but we can't let the fear of the unknown keep us from getting outdoors. I'm your host, a canoe trip leader, Katie Tozer. Let's get out there. This is the final episode in our mini-series, Knowing Where You're Going. And today, we're headed to Quetico Provincial Park, Canada's second largest wilderness park. The Quetico was created by the Provincial Parks Act of 1913, when our friend from Voyagers, Ernest Oberholzer, formed an international partnership with Canada. It was called the Quetico Superior Council, and this was in response to that dam building proposal um, that business people put up in Voyagers. The council's mission was to defend and extend the roadless wilderness area along the boundary waters and to protect and expand the rare public values in Rainy Lake Watershed. This council may be where the name Quetico came from, but we're actually not sure about that title. It's not French if you're an American and we're wondering. Before the park was created in 1913, the Quetico was very similar to Voyagers and the Boundary Waters, part of the Voyagers Highway, and home to multiple native fishing and hunting tribes long before that. For the first several decades that Aquatico Provincial Park was in existence, commercial industries like logging and fishing were still allowed, actually, until 1971. Today, that is no longer the case, and motors of any kind are actually prohibited from the park. There's just one exception to that, and that's Lac Lacroix guides, who can use motors at very specific speeds. The Quetico is the largest of the three parks we're covering, at 1.2 million acres, with 2,000 wilderness campsites, over 600 lakes. Though it's the largest, it has the fewest backcountry camping visitors, just about 20,000 people will spend a night here in the Quetico annually, which is a tenth of the visitors the BWCA sees. It's actually open year-round for backcountry camping too, so it could definitely have more visitors, but I'm going to be selfish and be grateful that it doesn't. Before you go planning a canoe trip in April or October, I want to let you know that the weather and bug patterns obviously match the BWCA and Voyagers, but it's gear rentals that could be prohibitive. The rental shops close in September, so unless you have your own gear and don't mind cold October nights, I'd still go to the Quetico between May and September. Booking a night stay at a backcountry campsite in the Quetico is going to be about $20 per person, but that is Canadian dollars, so it's probably a little less in U.S. You can find this information on the Ontario Provincial Park website and make your bookings directly there, but if you've got groups you're camping with, you would actually want to call the Quetico Park directly. Just like the BWCA and Voyager's park staff, the staff at the Quetico are very accommodating. To start your trip, you can pick up your permit in the office, unless you've printed it out and brought it with you already. They can also make adjustments to the number of people going or the number of nights you plan to be there, in most cases, in case something changes last minute. In the Quetico, you've got your pick of 21 different entry points. There are three ranger stations. And Outfitters will run shuttle services during the summer season, straight from Thunder Bay's airport to some of these popular entry points, like Dawson's Trail. Atacokan is another nearby city to check out if you're wondering how to get into the park. Know before you go that those 21 entry points are paved road, unpaved, sharp turns, marked roads, and unmarked roads. I have been stuck up there with a bus and a canoe trailer before, so I'd caution you to drive slowly if you're driving yourself, and don't be afraid to hire somebody to drive you, or just pick a popular entry point. (music) Unlike most American parks, you're not going to find tent pads or plastic toilets anywhere on the Quetico's campsites. And you can expect to see fewer people and have even more space to yourself. I know it's hard to believe. The campsites are still going to be marked on your maps, of course, but there will be no blazes, benches, or grates over fire pits to otherwise clue you in. To me, the rusticness of these campsites translates to less evidence of human activity. Their website calls it unimproved campsites, and I really like that phrase. There are some campsites here you can arrive at and feel like you're the first person to ever have made camp there. Should you actually camp somewhere where no one has ever camped before? That's a big no. That would be called crashing a campsite, and it's not good for the landscape, so it's actually not allowed in any of these three parks. Unless you're caught in a storm or really badly lost, you're probably never going to want to crash a campsite. If you look at the numbers, the Quetico has about the same amount of space as the Boundary Waters does, with the same number of campsites and a tenth of the people visiting. So you should be able to find somewhere to stay. It's not always going to be an Easter egg hunt. And if you're aiming for a fairly relaxed trip where you find your one perfect campsite, paddle out in the morning, paddle back in the afternoon, you're not going to have to worry about picking campsites that much. If you leave your tents up while you're out, no one's going to mess with you. It's time for our break segment. In this episode, we're going to have a trip tips segment. Whenever and wherever you go camping, you're going to have to choose a campsite. This is especially true in this episode about the Quetico, because the further you go into remote areas and the more sparse the place you're camping, the harder it can be to find a site. So what do I look for when I'm ready to make camp for the night? The first indicators from out in the middle of the water are going to be thinning trees, lower elevation, or a splash of bare rock. I also love island campsites and would highly recommend those to you, or any campsite on a kind of exposed point. So those should be easy to track down if you're using your map. Once you pull up to a promising bit of land, send one or two of your tripmates out as envoys before you go through the work of unloading all your gear. Now you have to determine if, number one, this is a campsite, and number two, it's a campsite that would work for your group. The kitchen area should be the first thing you look for as it ought to be the easiest thing to find. You would see a pile of rocks arranged in a half circle or a three-sided rectangle with probably some soot, ash, or blackened rock around that area. Next, head for the trees. You're looking for flat spaces Big enough for the tents you brought. These may all be in one area. They may be scattered throughout the campsite. So take a nice little walk to find them. Once you have, if you're not desperate for a campsite, feel out the flat surface. Make sure there are no rocks hidden under there. And if you like the look of those, the last thing you really need to make sure you've got is plenty of firewood. The best campers will try to leave a pile of sticks for the next camper right by the kitchen, but if you haven't lucked out into one of those, just do a quick glance through the woods surrounding your area and see if there's any deadfall you could use to do your cooking. Your group may have some other needs you'll want to consider. Obviously, accessibility is a big one. A lot of these campsites won't work for someone who needs wheelchair access, but you might also be looking for a spot to swim. If you've got a couple hammocks in your group, you might be looking for trees that it'll fit between. If you can check all these things off your list, then you've got your home for the night. Side note, this can be a really fun task for a kid to do if you're bringing any children with you. It's a little bit like house shopping and it gives them this agency so they can feel like they've made the home for the night. That's it for today's trip tip. Thanks for listening. Nearly ready to move on from our little introduction to the Boundary Waters Voyagers National Park and Quetico. If you've listened to all three episodes, thank you. I've got a little wrap up today. When you're determining where you're going on your canoe trip, do start by picking a park that matches your group's ambitions and expectations. Set dates. Get a permit, and search for flights in the neighboring cities, car rentals if need be. Don't stress about the paddling route yet. I wouldn't even plan a route until later on, and even then, I'd be aware that it could change. Get to know the map around your entry point, feel out the pace of your group, and just get everyone excited. Next time, we'll be digging into gear a little bit. Primarily, we'll talk about personal gear, because that you can begin to gather now, months ahead of a summer trip. Have a great week, everyone. Take care out there.